As Nick says, we're uh, reading from Genesis 46. We'll be reading from verse 1 to 7, and then jumping, turning over the page uh, uh, to verse 26, and then reading from 26 through uh, to the end of chapter 47. So a little jump um, uh, from after verse 7. So Genesis uh, chapter 46, headed in our Bibles, Jacob goes to Egypt. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport them. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and their possessions that they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. Turn over the page to verse 26. (coughs) All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons. With the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of Jacob's family which went to Egypt were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, Now I am ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are living in the land of Canaan, have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they owned. When Pharaoh calls in and asks you, what is your occupation, you should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we've come to live here for a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now, please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? 
And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out of his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided, provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. Thank you, Philip. Evening, everybody. Um, I wonder if you've got a, uh, a favourite movie ending. Uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, ending where you could, you know, type it on YouTube and just kind of watch uh, over a few times. Uh, for me, it's always hard to beat. What's it going to be? <laughs> uh, it's a Wonderful Life. I just, just that ending, isn't it? it just, you have the, the, the film that kind of it's going down, things seem kind of really uh, despondent, and then towards the end, it just sort of takes off, and all the strands come together. It's kind of one of the, the ultimate sort of happy endings. Uh, because when you, you get to the end of a story, you, you usually have the happy ending. Now, I know there are some films that, that don't have the happy ending, that there are those sort of, you know, the, the ones that just sort of end brutally and like, going, oh. uh, but, but by and large, a lot of stories finish with a happy ending. And we kind of like that. So that's kind of how a story should finish. So why then when we come to the Joseph story and we pretty much have got kind of the happy ending. Last week, the reunion, this, this week as well, you know, it's complete really. But the story doesn't stop. We've got the happy ending, but the, the story is going on. Really, actually, we might say it's just the beginning. Because uh, this is the end or, or coming toward the end of the, the Joseph story. But really, it's just the beginning of God's story. Uh, it's the beginning of, of uh, the continuing way that the Lord will work in the world. It's the way that God is going to come about to a happy ending. But his happy ending is far greater than we can imagine. It's the happy ending when not just a family reunited, but when his people are reunited with him forever. And so as we look at these chapters this evening, we're going to reinforce some of the things we've seen before, and we're going to be setting up what is to come. So let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your words. Uh, we thank you that it's good. And we pray this evening as we look at this continuing story of Joseph uh, that you would help us to see uh, your hand in the world and that you may help us to live in light of it. Amen. So we're, we're joining the story, if not with Joseph, but with uh, Jacob. Uh, and we read uh, verse 1. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. 
Now, just quickly as a, a quick aside, uh, what you may have noticed as the story was read is that the, the, the name of Jacob kind of keeps flitting. We have Israel here, a bit later it's Jacob, then it's Israel, then it's Jacob. Um, you, you know, what's, what's right or, or what's going on? Well, Jacob, is, his name is changed, if you can remember, uh, way back in chapter 32, uh, when he has that wrestling match uh, with God. Uh, God changed his name to Israel. Uh, the, the one who, who fought with God and, and got the blessing. So is there a significance then when it says Israel and when it says Jacob? And on the one hand, I don't think it is. I don't think it is saying, oh, well, he's called Israel here because of this and he's called Jacob here because of this. I, I don't quite think it's sort of just trying to do that. But on the other hand, there is a sense in which we see Jacob the deceiver uh, the one who, who's that sort of fallen part of his personality uh, is going on. And there's also this part of him, which is the one who fought with God to get the blessing, uh, that he is both of those people at the same time. He is both the, the deceiver and the one who seeks God's blessing. In other words, he's a normal person, someone who lives that sort of the, the bad and the good, as it were, going side by side. But anyway, um, back to the story. And of course, from last week, you remember that we, that bit of the brothers came and they said, Joseph's alive. And then he finally believed it. And then he was going to go down to see him. So jo- uh, Jacob, brother, he must have been ecstatic. He must have been thinking, look, this is my chance to see my boy. I want to go. Get me on the first flight down there. He was heading off and he went straight there. And he ended up at a place called Beersheba. Which you can just sort of, if you can see it, sort of just there. You might not see the words, but you can kind of see uh, roughly where it is. And it's a place that, that he would have known well. It's a place that his father Isaac uh, built an altar. So we see uh, chapter 26, uh, verses 23 to 25. Uh, it says this this is Genesis 26. Uh, but, uh, Jacob was born in chapter 25. So this is the chapter after. Isaac, so from there he, that's Isaac, Jacob's dad, from there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. So at this moment, uh, when Isaac uh, reaches this place, this place where God repeated the promise from Abraham to his father Isaac, he reaches that moment and he, as it were, rededicates himself. He reminds himself that the most important thing that he can do is follow the Lord. But then I wonder if at that moment something came into his mind And it was something that the Lord said to his father, Isaac, a little bit before that, in chapter 26 again. 26, verses 1 to 3. Now, there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerir. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. 
Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to my father Abraham. Suddenly, I wonder if he remembers that God told his father, don't go to Egypt if there's a famine. And what's Jacob doing? (laughs) Going to Egypt when there's a famine. So you just wonder if in his mind he's suddenly conflicted. He's thinking, it seems like I should go to Egypt. Joseph is there, but I've also got this back of my mind. The Lord said to my father, don't go to Egypt. So what do I do? And then at that point, it's as if God almost knew exactly what he was thinking. So back to chapter 46, verses 2 to 4. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am the God, the God of your father. So I am God, the God of your father. He said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. He says to Jacob, do not be afraid. I've not counted, but purportedly it says in the Bible, do not be afraid 365 times. One for every day of the year. Whether that is the right number or whether it's just a lot. Do not be afraid, he says. Uh, And did you notice that that he essentially said the same thing that he said to Isaac before? Do you remember? So chapter 26, uh, verse 24. When he's speaking to Isaac, he says, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and increase the number of descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Uh, Chapter 46, verse 3. To Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. I said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. He's effectively repeating that same promise. He's sort of saying, uh, the promise I made to Abraham, the promise I made to Isaac, uh, the promise I'm making to you, it's the same one. Uh, He's giving him that confidence that he is behind all of this, that Jacob is not being unfaithful. Uh, That word to Isaac was for a time. It wasn't a once-for-all command. And so now he's saying, you're not being unfaithful, Jacob. In fact, as you go, I'm going to make you a great people there in Egypt. You'll be a great people. Uh, I will go with you as you go. And then I will come back with you. And don't worry, you'll have peace. Your, Your son will close your eyes. So Jacob went. He went, verse 5. In fact, not just him, uh, all his family went. Uh, They all went off. There wasn't kind of a a split. Some didn't stay behind and the family got split up. Some didn't stay behind and started a whole new family tree. No, they all went off down to Egypt. They all went there. And it's at this point is where our reading split that uh, Philip didn't read the genealogy 
which I guess he's slightly grateful for, <laughs> uh, all of those names. Uh, but the genealogy here it is acting a bit like a, a bookend. Because if you were to go back to the, the, the last genealogy uh, in Genesis uh, 11, uh, verses 10 to 32, uh, the, we get a genealogy there about going to Abraham. And then we jump all the way over to chapter 46, verses 825, and we get another genealogy. And then it's as if really saying that, that they're acting as bookends, that, that everything in between uh, is God's people in God's land, uh, between that, those two genealogies. And now what's happening after this genealogy? They're going off to Egypt. It's a little marker. It's saying, look, here's a block, and now uh, we're moving on uh, to the next section. Uh, And so then we jump forward to uh, the next bit, to verse 25, uh, and verse 26, sorry. Uh, And we see there that actually that when they go to Egypt, there are 66 of them uh, in total. Uh, A relatively small number, It's, it's a big family, But in big terms, it's quite a small number, really, going on into Egypt. And then we do, in verse 29, get that sort of surprise, surprise, family reunion moment. Uh, Chapter verse 29. Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And so Joseph now is content. Verse 30. Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, since I've seen myself that you are still alive. The Lord came good on his promises. The Lord came good. And it's at this point that the, the camera switches a little bit. It moves off Jacob and goes to to Joseph. Uh, And we're reminded again that that Joseph is the the right man in the right place at the right time. Uh, He knows what he's doing. Uh, Did you notice how how he says, I'll go and speak to Pharaoh uh, for you. I'll go and uh, talk to him. Now, just as an aside again, because of stories like this, And because of the Moses story that you know as well about Moses talking to Pharaoh, I don't know about you, but it it almost feels like it's easy to talk to Pharaoh. Like he's a chap that you can just walk up and chat to, like a local shopkeeper. Because we're used to it, because we know the stories. But of course, Pharaoh at this moment is probably the the most powerful man in the world. And so for argument's sake, if we say that the, the president of the USA is the most powerful man now, you know, how easy would it be to have a meeting of Joe Biden? I mean, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, going to speak to Pharaoh is a big deal. But Joseph knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly uh, what to say, uh, both for his family and for Egypt. Uh, he knows that actually there'll be some in Egypt who, who won't be too happy at the prospect of some of his family coming in. Uh, they'll be worried about immigration, about them taking over. So he tells them, look, just when you go speak to Pharaoh, 
Just tell them what you are, what you've always been, a shepherd. Just go and, and tell them that. Tell them that, that that's what you want to do. Because Egyptians, it says, don't like shepherds. And so then uh, you'll be able to live in the land up Goshen, up the north, that fertile land. Uh, you won't bother each other. Uh, that's what you should do. And that's exactly what happens. They, Pharaoh says, you know, what do you do? And he says, we're shepherds. It's all brilliant. And, and there is that separation. In fact, uh, did you notice that Pharaoh said, if any of them are particularly skilled, I guess he's thinking, you know, Joseph's a pretty good, good guy. If any of those are half as good as him, then they can probably look after my sheep and my livestock. So he says, if anyone is there, they could look, anyone who's good and skilled, look after my livestock. But really, the, the situation ends up with Joseph's family being protected, being guaranteed a, a livelihood. So we've got the, the Joseph and his brothers, they're all set. And then uh, Joseph brings in the old man. Uh, Jacob to come and see him. Verse 7. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. Uh, after Jacob blessed Pharaoh, hang on. I mean, that, again, that, that should be odd to us. Uh, we've just said that Pharaoh is the, the most powerful man in the world. And whenever uh, we see blessing in the Bible, it always, always goes greater to lesser. Always from, from greater uh, to lesser. So that just is a bit weird. That just sort of sticks out a little bit. But what, what's going on there then? But the story continues. Uh, Pharaoh asks um, uh, how old Jacob is, which isn't kind of a, it sounds rude in our culture, but, but not sort of for them. It's just kind of, he's basically saying, how's life been? Uh, And then verse 9, Jacob says, And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of my pilgrimage of my fathers. We kind of think 130 years have been few. (laughs) Um, But his granddad Abraham lived to 175. Um, So so here he's just saying, Actually, compared to that, my years have been few. And it, it also sounds a, a bit of a grumpy response. I mean, you, imagine what he could have said. The most powerful man in the world says, what's life been like? He could have said, look, uh, the God of my, my grandfather and my father has been with me. He's kept me. He's done all these amazing things. Isn't he good? But instead, he says, well, things haven't been great. It's been a bit up and down. And we might think he's being a bit grumpy, but, but I think he's just being honest. I mean, life has been tough for him. When he was born, he knew he was second favorite. And then for most of his life, he's lived at best believing that his favored son was killed by wild animals at worst killed by his other sons. It's not been easy. But actually, 
we see Jacob's faith coming through. Because after this, again, he, he blesses Pharaoh. Again, just so we're absolutely sure, verse 10, what's going on. But actually, this is showing Jacob's faith. Because the, the, the greater does always bless the lesser, but this is not Jacob blessing, the, of blessing Pharaoh. It is Jacob blessing, this is the Lord blessing Pharaoh through Jacob. This is Jacob saying, actually, I trust in Yahweh, the Lord, the one who's the maker of heaven and earth, the truly great one. And it's on his behalf I'm blessing you. My trust is in him. But more than that, did you also notice how he described his life? He, he said it was a, a journey. He didn't say, I've, I've left my home to come to Egypt. He didn't say, oh, I've arrived, you know, home is where the family is, home is where the heart is, I've arrived home now to be with my family. He doesn't say that. He says, my life is a pilgrimage, my life is a journey. In other words, he's saying, I'm looking ahead to where I'm going. I'm looking ahead to where home is. Jacob is somebody who's holding fast to his God each and every moment. So how does this um, story fit in? How does this fit in? Well, as I said, it, a big part of it is setting up uh, what's to come. Uh, in Genesis 15, verse 13, uh, this is speaking to Abraham. Uh, we read these words. <clears throat> then the Lord said to him, Abraham, and know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they'll be enslaved and ill-treated there, but they'll punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. The Lord had said to Abraham that his family would go. And now uh, the 66 uh, head on in. But when we would read ahead later... Uh, just flicking ahead to Exodus uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 7, that uh, we read this, verse 6 and 7. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all their generation died, but the Israelites were increasingly fruitful. Uh, they multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. You see, we get this detail of 66 because it's setting up to remind us that actually the Lord's keeping his promise. In a few uh, generations later, a few hundred years later, they're so numerous, these people, that they're filling uh, the whole land. Uh, and also, uh, we're being reminded that there's this continuing distinction. Uh, the people live in Goshen. Uh, they're not in the center of, kind of, of e Egyptian culture and Egyptian religious worship. They're different. They're separate There are separate people. And also, living in Goshen means that it's easier to get out. And later on, we get to Exodus as they leave Egypt. It's little details like this that just remind us that through all of these stories, the finger of the Lord is at work. Just working. Going through. Going through. So, what does this mean for us today? Well, the first thing is to, to remind ourselves that 
the Lord is at work. That this little story or big story is part of the bigger story. That that God is determined to, to bless Jacob's family. And then through Jacob's family, he will bless the whole world. Uh, that actually, that because of uh, one of Jacob's sons, not Joseph, but Judah, and then through his greater son, the Lord Jesus, uh, he would bring blessing to all. Uh, and that through that son, we will experience a family reunion, the greatest surprise, surprise moment we could ever know uh, as we are brought together in his home, as his people. Uh, and we need to, to, to remember that in our heads, to remember that there is that that hand of the Lord uh, behind all events that's working to bring us home and to remember in our hearts that he is working to do that. But also, I just want to quickly zoom in on one thing. Going back to that verse 9, going back to the description that Jacob says of his life as a journey. Because actually, Jacob had had highs, Uh, Jacob had lows, but he also had a whole stack, I'm sure, of just days that were exactly the same. Because that's life. But that was his journey with the Lord. And it's our story as well. Uh, There may be days that we have highs, the days when we say, the Lord was with me. I, I, I knew it, I could feel it. And there may be days when we feel like our, the bottom has fallen out from our world. And we, we wonder, is, is God there? And he is holding you. But for most of us, most of our days are just spent in the beautiful ordinary. We have the, the same breakfast every day. We perhaps uh, have the same walk to to work uh, or to school. Uh, We face the the challenges of family, repetitive challenges of family, whether that be uh, young family or maybe even old family. And even apparently, uh, the average British person has 884 cups of tea a year. Although I have none, but there we go. What's my point? Each of those days are a journey. It's not just the high points and it's not just the low points. It's the beautiful everyday average day is a journey with the Lord. So just think what it might mean when you wake up in the morning afresh and you've got that same routine, that same alarm clock going off, and your, your same time, the same pattern. What will they mean to say that today is a journey? That maybe it, it might be to, to look at that Lent book, just to, to, to reorientate your gaze. What will it mean as you, you walk to work or to school and you see others around you, the same people you pass at the same time, at the same people you share that same square meter of carpet with? How is it going to change our 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 view to say today is a journey that I'm walking to go home to the promised land. What's it going to mean to pray for these people, to love them? What's it going to mean for my uh, parenting or looking after my parents? It's a journey. 
It's not just an ordinary day. It is a journey we walk with the Lord. Uh, what's it going to mean? How we use those cups of tea that we have, that we share. They're not just ordinary, random moments. It's a journey with the Lord. A journey that we will go home with. Jacob saw his life as a pilgrimage. All those highs and those lows we've been looking at. He was looking ahead by faith to what's to come. And we know that because of his greater son, the Lord Jesus, we are guaranteed to go home, that he left a journey to come to earth, uh, to bear himself upon a cross, to die, to go to a, uh, into a tomb, to be raised again in the center of the heaven, to say, I'm preparing a place for you. That was his journey. And so each of us, each of our days, the highs, the lows, and the beautiful, ordinary every day, are walking toward that goal. So what will it mean for each of us today to live in light of that and to follow that journey toward our home and to live by faith today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you that it is good. Thank you that it speaks into our world, speaks into our lives. Help us, Father, to live by faith, to fix our eyes on what is coming and to live each day following after you. Amen.